Hey, welcome to church. Is everyone doing okay? Well, there's three people are doing okay. The rest of you are struggling. No, that's not the case. So I want to say a big welcome to you for all of those online as well. Um, one thing I want to encourage you as well before we get going is make sure you jump into the, if this is your first time, head up to the Connections Lounge because we want to do life with you. Uh, doing community and getting involved in connect groups um, is too important. And uh, so we really want to encourage you to do that. And up there you can ask questions and we can point you in all the right directions. Um, I don't really know what's going on, so don't come to me. But I'll tell you about Jesus, that's for sure. Um, but we were actually in the middle of a church-wide series at the moment uh, in the book of James. And uh, there's something special about when we come together as a church and uh, both the church here in person and on online as well. And we study the same passages together because there's just, I don't know, there's something in there where we're coming together and tuning our ears into things that God might be saying to us as a broader body as well. And so this has been a powerful um, book for us to be studying. For those who are just tuning in for the first time with us, um, the, the book of James, all right, was actually a, a letter written by James to the Christian Jews. And now the Christian Jews that he was writing to had been scattered abroad, the Roman Empire. And it speaks to us today uh, with the, the, the same conviction and with the same power as it was intended to when it was written uh, to the Christian Jews. And this is the power of the Word of God. And throughout the whole of the book of James, James is calling Christians not just to be hearers of the word, but actually to be doers of the word. Actually being active in what the things that are taking place in our life. As I once heard someone say, they, they said this, just as growing people should act as adults and superheroes should act heroic, so Christians should look like Christ. And this is what James is getting at. He says, because when the grace of God touches your heart, it should impact the way that you live. A new life should give way to a new lifestyle. The outside should match the inside. It's this new thing that takes place where all of a sudden, as followers of Jesus, we're not just saying one thing and doing the opposite. We aren't people full of, full of jealousy because someone has a, a gifting or someone has an opportunity and so we try to tear them down. Uh, we're not called to be people that have our, our tongue being used to, to break people's lives down, but actually we're called to lift people up using our tongue. Uh, James talks about rejoicing in our trials. Why can we rejoice in our trials? Because it doesn't seem like there's much rejoicing in it from the trials I've experienced. But he says, because our identity is in Christ. And what James is really trying to get us to, to come to is that point of, he wants us to have a heart that displays God's heart. Does that make sense? It's a pretty simple message. I remember a situation that happened to me probably about two years ago and um, it was something that took place in my life that uh, was completely opposite to my heart. If you know me, I, I, I love people. I love seeing people grow and develop. I, I, I love seeing unity 
is a, is a big passion of mine. And about two years ago, or maybe it was a bit, a bit longer than that, is uh, COVID hit, all right? And at that point, everyone that um, used to meet in a church no longer could do that. You remember that very clearly, don't you? And so all of a sudden, as a church, because we're a church that has a hunger for the Word of God, we love to do life around the Word of God, and then we love to do life together as a community, and we love to see the, the, the name of Jesus, His love and His grace being, being spoken, we had to scrounge up a way to do live stream, a way that we could actually continue to do church together. And so we did. We came, and, and a lot of the, the, the guys in tech... And the girls in tech brought in gear from their own studios and were able to build this Frankenstein of an idea and, um, and we were able to do that as a church. But the, the thing that I found maybe most exciting about this time was the fact that it wasn't just one, but there was many churches who actually began to go, hey, we want to do this. Like it wasn't just us, it was actually so many churches, which meant there was a heart for people to go and do community, to do the gospel, to do the, the Word of God together. And I used to love this. I used to love just watching other live streams because a, look, I was learning from it because I had no idea what we were doing. But then the other amazing thing was you could actually sit under the teaching of other pastors. Our, our pastors here are great. It's nothing against that, but it was just, it was really nice being fed from other things that God had been speaking to pastors. Has anyone else experienced that? And so it'd be great, I'd sit there and do it. But what happened is this one particular night, I, I, I sat down on the couch getting ready to watch our live stream and um, I looked over and there was my daughter who was probably about one and a half at that point playing with my phone and I was like, I'm too tired, you just have it, it's yours, you know what I mean? And left it to her until I started hearing music and I'm like, that sounds like worship music. And I'm like... I just felt prompted that I better just check what she's doing on my phone. And so I grabbed it and looked at it. And I don't know how she did it, but she came up and brought up Facebook and actually brought up one of the local church's live streams. And I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. But it all turned horribly wrong when I realised, and I didn't know how she did this because I didn't even know how to do this. She put something in the comments section of this live stream. And it was a gif. I didn't even know how to do a GIF. And this was the GIF that came up. <laughs> you laugh now. But I was about to put in my resignation. I was praying prayers saying, Jesus, I know you're coming again. May it be now. <laughs> it, it was horrendous. Anyway, I, by the grace of God, I, I, uh, I found a way to delete it very quickly. And, and then by the grace of God, I realised it wasn't actually their live stream. It was actually a watch party. And it actually went to a watch party that one of my uh, friends that I knew was actually hosting. And so I quickly texted him. I said, oh, mate, you know, that's not my heart. Like, this is really bad. And he's like, oh, I didn't even see it pop up properly. And he thought, I saw something and flashed down. I was like, thank you, Jesus. And so Sienna never has my phone anymore. But this is why James is saying, let's be doers of the word. And not just hearers, because faith without action does not produce life. And we as a church are the hands and feet of Jesus. 
We're the body of Christ. And one thing I noticed in, the, in my, my journey with Jesus is that the Holy Spirit loves to pull layers back in my life, just like an onion. You remember that in Shrek? Just pulling onions, uh, pulling onions, pulling layers off the onions. Because the Holy Spirit loves to keep changing me. He loves to keep revealing things in me that uh, where they're about me and not about him. And it seems to happen in those moments when you start thinking, oh, I'm starting to get this Christian thing sorted, you know what I mean? And then the Holy Spirit's like, well, there's another layer. And you're like, wow, I have fallen short. And this is what tonight's passage, this is what James is wanting to do. He's saying, hey, let's pull back another layer. Let's become a church. Let's become a people that are constantly hearing from God and constantly surrendering ourselves afresh. And so I want you to turn with me to James 2, 1 to 13, where he addresses favoritism that is in the church. So as you do that, as you bring it up in your Bibles, on your devices, it'll be on the screen. I want to give you a quick background of what's taking place. James is leading the church of Jerusalem or the church in Jerusalem. And it's through a very difficult time. The Roman culture that the Jewish Christians who had been scattered into were actually surrounded by this culture that was steeped in hierarchy. I'm not talking about just positions because that's just life where everyone has different positions and different callings and different gifts. The Bible talks about that, but we're actually talking about a hierarchy where the next person under is lesser than. It was status found in wealth or status found in education or family line or positions. And it was an accepted part of the Roman Empire and the culture. This was the norm. And one of the commentators on this particular passage says it was almost, um, it was almost no possibility of social and economic climbing in James's world. Social and economic, the social and economic period in the Roman Empire was incredibly steep with virtually no middle class. And then he tries to help paint a bit of a picture. He says, perhaps, let's say, 8% of the population had wealth, another 2% were gaining it, and the remaining 90% lived in conditions that we would describe as poor. See, if you had wealth, you were to be honoured. If you didn't have wealth, if you were poor, you were a nobody. Even the clothes they would wear would actually signal where they were in the, in the hierarchy. Wearsby, one of the, the commentators, writes this. He says, Jewish people in that day coveted recognition and honour and competed eagerly with one another for praise. The powerful and wealthy in the first century were accustomed to special treatment. And so this is why James pens this. And let's read it together. James 2, 1 to 13 says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you. 
but you go to the poor man and you say, well, you can stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who, he, who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, which is love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Then he says in verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. What is James getting at in this passage? What is he trying to help the the Christian Jews to understand? What is he saying even to us? What's the Holy Spirit saying to us tonight? James is highlighting to his readers and listeners that favouritism had found its way into their own lives and their assemblies. The culture which they lived had began to impact some of the people's hearts. And he does this by illustrating the story of a, of a rich man and a poor man. You know, the rich man comes in and gets ushered into this amazing seat or even says, oh, well, you can have my seat. It's a prime position. And then goes over to the the poor person actually says, hey, you can stand here, but if you do need to sit down, well, you can at least, you can sit at my feet. You know, count yourself privileged. And as Christian Jews, they would have known that the poor were nobodies in their society. And many of them would have experienced this firsthand as, as scattered Jews. Wealth probably was not in their hands. But this is why James is addressing favouritism. Because instead of being set apart as followers of Jesus, whether it was knowingly or unknowingly, they were oppressing the poor in order to have self-gain. James in verse four, he says, almost like scratching his head in confusion. He says, Have you not, by doing this, aren't you discriminating amongst yourselves and becoming judges with evil thoughts? In other words, you are actually oppressing your own people, your own brothers and sisters in the faith. By acting this way, you are actually putting them into different levels of social status. 
And then he continues in verse 5 and reminds them, you know what God's heart is. It's this. Listen, dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who loved him? It's the poor financially. It's the poor in spirit. It's the marginalised in society that are going to be the most open to the things of God. That's why he's saying this. Why? Because all the charms of this world would have been stripped away from them. Everything the world had to offer, all the hope, all the money, all the opportunities, which were here today, they knew were gone tomorrow. And it's in these very moments that the 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 poor and the poor in spirit would have known and seen Jesus because the scripture says, Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. You want to know the character of God? It's here. This is why Jesus says, he says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a sewing needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because when you have all the material possessions, when you are rich, you've got so many things to distract you from actually realising that you need spiritual help, that we are spiritually bankrupt. Now, before we go around and start posting things, condemning people that are wealthy, all right? If tonight if you are sitting here and you have had something to drink and you have had something to eat, can I say you are very, very wealthy. We live in a prosperous nation. And so this is speaking even just to us. But I wanted you to know this. The Bible says there's many people in the, in the Word of God who are wealthy but righteous. The problem wasn't that he was, the person was rich. The wealth isn't the issue. It was the fact of the treatment that was opposing the poor. One of the commentators says the issue is not so much the treatment given the wealthy person or that James is trying to say that the church should be reserved for the materially poor. The issue is that the uneven quality of treatment that was displayed. And James in verse 6 and 7 goes on to say, but you've actually dishonoured the poor through your actions. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Aren't they putting you in prison? Aren't they taking you to the courts? Aren't they actually the ones that are blaspheming the name of Jesus? Yet you're wanting to lift them up and elevate them and at the same time oppress the poor. I love what James does. He then reaches into the Old Testament law that they would have been so familiar with as Jews. Something they would have been known from a young age and tells about the seriousness of oppressing the poor. And it's in verse eight. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself. You can read about that as well in Matthew 22 when it says, love the Lord your God with your heart. And then it says, love your neighbour as yourself because all the law and the prophets hang off these two. He says, you know that, that law, the, the royal law, love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep that, well, you're doing right. 
But then he says, but if you show favoritism, your sins, you have sinned and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. In other words, we are all guilty of falling short of what God's holy standard is. And he goes on to say, see, you might have thought you, you hadn't murdered or you haven't committed adultery. You might think that you're doing amazing. But he says that even favouritism is put in the same basket as murder and adultery. He's saying that we need to take this seriously. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I read this and I'm like, whew, this is, this is heavy. I'm like, man, I, I, I know I don't, keep, I don't keep the standards of God. But I love what James says at the very start and he says at the very end of this passage. It almost encapsulates this call to action. He puts it in perspective. And the verse one is, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, Meaning we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been recipients of God's great grace. We, we know this. In verse 12, he goes and says, speak and act like those who are going to be judged by the Lord that gives freedom. Not the law that oppresses. What James is doing is he's building this call to action, not on condemnation, but he's actually building it on the grace of God. It's like he's saying, look, I'm gonna show you why we cannot show favoritism. I'm gonna remind you of some things that as believers, you should already know. He says, do you remember how God lavished love on you? Do you remember how you were saved, what you were saved from and what you were saved to and who you were saved by? I love that he says, your glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Because one of the commentators says that James is reminding the people that they weren't just talking about anyone when it came to Jesus. Jesus didn't just walk the earth but he was actually the very manifestation of God. That's incredible. We read in Genesis 1, it says that in God, we were all created, all of humanity was created in his image. Meaning we're, we're all on a level playing field. We're all made in God's image. And he says this, he says, this is our glorious Lord God. Remember, you turned your back on God. God's judgment was upon you. But our God who is all glorious, all consuming, all powerful, all knowing, he showed you mercy. This glorious God, the creator of the universe, showed you and me mercy. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
Jesus. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but you'll have eternal life. Jesus, God in human form, humbled himself and stooped down to do life with us as sinners. This is what James is saying to them. This is what the, uh, the Holy Spirit is saying to us tonight. Jesus even humbled himself to die on a cross. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, meaning he was all glorious, yet for, the, for your sake, for my sake, he became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. So do you remember the cross? Do you remember the resurrection? Do you remember that you despised and rejected Jesus? But do you remember the mercy that God has poured out on you? Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a passage I say a lot. The reason for this is because it was life-changing for me. For me to understand grace, I had to realise that Jesus died on the cross for me right in the middle of my action of turning my back on God. Right in the middle of my deliberate sin. Is that not the most amazing love, the most amazing grace? You know, I mean, that is so different to someone dying on the cross once you've gotten your whole life together. With me, who, who was in the very act of sin, God chose to die on the cross for me through Jesus. That's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 backs up. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. See, Jesus came to save not based on status or hierarchy or family line or birthplace or education or your financial success or well, how well you know the Scriptures or not even your good deeds. Because remember in Isaiah, it actually says, your righteous acts are like filthy rags in His sight. That's how far short we fall. But we were saved by grace the moment we turned from being against God to God and asked for his forgiveness. See, at the foot of the cross, everyone is equal. And this is why this, these passages are so significant. Jesus is saying, you can't afford to show favoritism as followers of Jesus if you've understood the mercy that has been poured out on you. See, the punishment and the judgment, which was mine as a result of my sin, Jesus took on the cross. As one of the old hymns says, it says this from how deep the Father's love for us is, it says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out amongst the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. 
until it was accomplished. His dying breath has purchased my life. Now I know that it is finished. And I will not boast in anything. I won't boast in my gifts. I can't boast in my power or my wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? Why should I get the crown that was his? And it says, I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, that the wounds that Jesus took has paid my ransom. This is why James is saying in in the last two verses, he's like, go... And speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the Lord that gives freedom. In Jesus, you're not judged by your failures. When God looks at you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted his grace and forgiveness, he doesn't see me anymore. He sees his son, Jesus. And that's why he says at the very end, mercy triumphs over judgment. God's God's mercy triumphed over the judgment that was due me. Do you not think that's the most incredible thing? Does that not change your perspective on how we should be doing life as followers of Jesus? When you realise that in Jesus... You have all you need. You find your identity in him. What falls to the side is is that attempt to begin to work your way up to a level so you feel like you've achieved something. It it takes away that, that jealousy. It begins to remove bitterness. It begins to remove these identity issues we have where favoritism comes out of. But because we know that Jesus, our great Saviour, has a plan and purpose for our lives. And we can trust our lives to him. But James in verse 13 does give a pretty decent warning. He says, if, if you've received God's grace and you're a follower of Jesus, but you're going to keep going and not showing mercy. Well, he says, that's, it's, it's not of God. He says, this is in the heart of God. He says, actually, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful because God's mercy was so great. And this is our heart as a church. This is why as a church we are constantly wanting to be in the Word of God, doing series like this. Why we we come and we pray. Why we do corporate prayer nights. is because it is so foundational to our church. We need to keep Jesus at the centre and we need to keep grace at the centre because it's here that we find the foundation of hope. It's through the word of God, through prayer, through coming and doing life, that we actually put ourselves under the authority of God. 
And we say, God, speak to us. Change us as a people. Change us as a church because we want your heart. We don't want to oppress the poor. We want to love the poor. We want to love the rich. We want to love everyone that they may come to know Jesus. And it's in this moment that we hear correction from God. We were prompted to fall on our knees and surrender and some repentance when we've gotten it wrong. It's here that we're empowered to love our neighbour. And this is why we come each Sunday to meet together. Because we're saying, Holy Spirit, change our hearts that you may use us. I'm going to get the band to come up. But one thing I felt like we need is to do as, as a people is have a moment, just a, a bit of a time, because we are so blessed by God's grace. But we want to come before him and we want to say, God, by your Holy Spirit, will you search our hearts? Being under God's grace means we can, we can open up our heart and we know we're not going to get hit by condemnation, but it actually draws us closer to God. And so I want to invite you just in this moment right now, we begin just to talk with God. We begin to ask Him to say, God, by your Holy Spirit, speak to me. Is there favouritism in my life? Have I been oppressing people around me in order for self-gain? Ask Him and say, how does this impact the way I do uni or work or school? or the work site, maybe in your work. It's going and sitting at lunch with that person that you know annoys everyone in the office. Maybe it's school going and spending time with that one person that everyone thinks is the joke of the school. Maybe it's on the work site. You, you see the other boys knocking an apprentice around as, as a bit of a joke. And you feel like, hey, I'm just going to jump in too because I, I want to, you know, make sure that I'm considered up here with the, the pack. I'll say, no, no, let's do something different. Maybe it's at uni. People around you who may not be at that academic class that you are. But you're there and, and bringing them in. I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you about right now. But can we just spend some time just asking the Holy Spirit, come. We want to have the heart of God. Lord, show us your heart, we pray. Maybe tonight you haven't taken that step of maybe your first step to give your life to Jesus. 
I want to invite you in these moments right now. Take that step of faith. Say, Jesus, I've been doing it on my own. I've been turning my back on you, but I've heard about your grace tonight. I've heard that you love me. Will you come, Jesus, and forgive me? God, will you take control of my life? You can do that right now. It's not about getting your life together. Allow Jesus to get your life together. He just says, just come open-handed to Him. Jesus, we surrender afresh tonight. Lord, forgive us. Lord, for where we've ever shown favouritism, Lord, and oppressed people. Forgive us for wherever we've um, tried to make things about us. Lord, where we haven't had the heart of God, Lord, forgive us afresh for that, Lord Jesus. You know we're broken, Lord. You know we're flawed. And so I wanna thank You for Your grace, Lord. It, It just is the most freeing, beautiful thing. But Lord, as an overflow of the grace and the mercy you've shown us, Lord, we want to change. We want to grow. We want to be new and afresh, Lord. And so we invite you by your Holy Spirit to come into every aspect of our life. And just keep pulling back layers, Lord. Keep showing us, Lord. For those that are spiritually poor, to know that you are strong, Lord. Protect us from pride, Lord. May we never lean on our good deeds in order to impress you, but actually may our actions be as a result of your love for us. Power of the Holy Spirit, come and change us and renew us, Lord. I pray we won't be conformed to the culture around us, Lord. Lord, it's hard out there. I know what the media prevails. I know what they, they, they promote. But Lord, we boldly come into the throne of grace, into your presence right now. And we say, God, come and change us and use us. Lord, may we be your hands and feet. May we reflect your glory, not through anything of us, but just as an overflow of what you've done in our lives. May our lips be full of grace and mercy. May criticism be far from our lips. May jealousy be far from our hearts. May there be tenderness in our actions. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. And God, may we let go of the things in our lives that we're holding on to worldly things, Lord that won't bring life, but just bring destructions. And so God, you've heard our hearts, you've heard our prayer. And so tonight as we surrender, we rejoice because we know the power of the Holy Spirit is moving and is alive and a well. And we know we are in right relationship with you because of what you did, Jesus, on the cross. And so come in the power of Jesus, we ask. We're going to stand.
We're going to spend this time just, just responding in worship. And I want to invite you through these moments. And I know some of those are going to be pretty scary, but I want to invite you to come up the front. And sometimes these are really good moments to do it because it helps cement what's taking place in your heart. And so tonight, if you've come to know Jesus for the first time, I, I just didn't want to encourage you. You don't have to do this, but come up and just, just nudge one of us pastors. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe if there's things of the Holy Spirit stirring in your life, maybe it's a just, we want to come and kneel at the feet of Jesus. Throw yourself in front of His grace again. Maybe you've been thinking you're too far gone. You've done too many things. Well, I want to say that's a lie tonight. Satan's feeding you a lie. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And tonight, if you've been holding on to your spiritual practices as a righteous act to impress God, well, maybe God's saying, it's time to come back to the heart of God. And so let's worship together and respond.
God, that's the, that's the cry and the prayer of our heart tonight. It's your heart is what we need and what we want, great God, uh, because your heart is merciful. That's what your Word says. It's your mercy. It's mercy over judgment. And uh, we just thank you for the truth of that. And uh, there may even be some here tonight, it's the very reason that maybe they've uh, held back from pressing into you because they just look at their life and they look at the things they've done and all the stuff and they just think there's no way that this God could actually accept me or love me or value me, value me and yet it's your mercy, it's your grace. It's your mercy, great God, in our lives. Even for some, maybe just watching online or just here as well. And it's just the very reason that uh, they can't surrender to you or give their life to you because they just feel there's no way. How could He possibly love me? How could He value me or accept me for, for who I am when I've done all these things? But it's your mercy over judgment. Your mercy over judgment. This is your character. And it's very counterintuitive and it's counter-cultural. And it's just different and we just, it's hard to get our heads around. Surely a perfect and righteous God couldn't accept me. Someone who's far from perfect, far from righteous, but your mercy, your mercy, great God, is what trumps judgment. And so we just thank You for that. And so we thank You that tonight, it's in this moment, this holy moment, we can just come to You just as we are and be accepted by You, great God, as we surrender and say, God, forgive me. Just forgive me for all the mess for all the things I've done, for all the mistakes, for all the sin in my life, just forgive me, Lord. I need a new heart. I need a new beginning. 
And there isn't judgment, but there's mercy from the grace of You, great God. And that's what we need. And that changes everything. It's what compels us to say, wow, You're an extraordinary Father. I wanna live for You. I wanna commit my life to You. I wanna surrender all to You. And so we just thank You for that, great God. Thank You for that fresh revelation, Your Word. It just uh, brings life, life. And we thank You for that, great God. May we live in the fullness of who You are. May we live in the fullness of Your Word, the truth of Your Word, we pray. So we thank You, great God, for, uh, for that reminder for us, that reminder for us. It's Your mercy over judgment, great God. We love You and we thank You. How can we not love You? You're amazing. You're amazing, God. And so we thank You, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Um, there's still an opportunity to receive prayer tonight. If there's just something in you, you just think, yeah, that's my journey, my story, or there's stuff in my heart that I just, it's actually held me back. It's held me back from pressing into God. Then uh, we'd love to talk to you further about that and pray with you. That's really important. Uh, please don't leave tonight without uh, being prayed for or chatting through that a little bit. Uh, but God bless you. And I just pray you'd live in the fullness this very week of all that God has in store for you. May He use you this week. Bless you so much and uh, we'll see you soon.